4: Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center here in downtown Santa Monica in the heart of Silicon Beach. Um, please be seated. we got a great show for you today from an a institution, of, uh, a prominent institution here in Santa Monica. Uh, we have Brian Michael Jenkins from the RAND Corporation. Um, and as it, the saying goes, um, he was country before country was coal. Brian Michael Jenkins has been studying um, terrorism. Since 1982 for Rand, and he has um, right now, he's a senior advisor, Rand, and he has um, served as uh, White House on the White House Commission for Aviation Safety and Security under Clinton, um, the National Commission on Terrorism, um, as well as being appointed to the um, Comptroller General's Advisory Board on Terrorism, and um, he has been a leading player in the thought space on terrorism. And he's garnered a lot of attention because of a recent piece he published through RAND that ran in TechCrunch on cyber terrorism and the role of Silicon Valley. So we're going to have a very interesting discussion with Brian Michael Jenkins. Are you with us, sir? I am. And uh, I forgot to mention that you are also a Green Beret. Um, uh, that
5: you, was many, many years ago, but
4: <laughs> yes. <laughs> you still you get to keep the beret, right? Um, <laughs> so um, thank you for joining us. And for those who are unfamiliar with RAND, um, could you just you know, give us a, just a, a, a quick soundbite on RAND? Well,
5: RAND is a not-for-profit research institute um, that addresses issues of national interest. And that's everything from... Uh, our policies for for dealing with terrorism, to national defense policy, to health policy, education policy, are uh, right across the board. If it's an issue on the national agenda, it's on it's on RAND's research agenda. It is part, uh, nonpartisan. In fact, it is ferociously nonpartisan uh, and dedicated, really, to simply objective research that will help inform our policymakers and the public.
4: And it's based in kind of co-located in Pittsburgh and Santa Monica?
5: It has. It, the the uh, headquarters uh, was in Santa Monica and still is. There's a, uh, an office in Washington, D.C. There's an office in Pittsburgh. Uh, there are some overseas offices uh, in, in Europe and, and elsewhere. So uh, as these issues have become increasingly global, so has so has RAND.
4: Oh, actually, when I was in Washington, I, I dated someone who worked at RAND in Washington, and they were incredibly jealous of the fact that, uh, I guess, RAND had a weekly beach volleyball game right across the street from its offices on Ocean Boulevard. <laughs> so, um, yeah, everyone's quite envious of your location in Santa Monica. So... Um, Let's just jump right in. In terms of you know, you're writing the article on you know, the role of Silicon Valley in um, cyber terrorism and in in terms of you know developing responses to it, you know, what what led you to write that?
5: Well, actually, to, to back up for a moment, I'm going sure. to make a tiny correction in the introduction. The research at RAND and, and my involvement actually began in 1972. Wow. And and the reason I'm I'm going to back it up is
4: is an important year.
5: Uh, in the late 1970s, in the late 1970s, uh, terrorism had already become a, a well-established phenomenon. And, and But we were trying to look ahead and to say, what, what weapons might terrorists use in the future? What would be the arsenal of tomorrow's terrorists? And we're looking at everything from weapons of mass destruction to surface-to-air missiles, uh, all sorts of things. And we missed the most important one. And the most important one was the internet? Uh, that is, uh, if you view terrorism as violence that is that is aimed at the people watching, that is a, a form of violent communications. Then the ability to reach a global audience and through the internet to do so in an unmediated fashion—that is, with no editors in the way to censor what you're doing—that uh, becomes a powerful, powerful uh, instrument to propaganda, a recruiting instrument, uh, a communications uh, a mode that is uh, pu- uh, secure against the authorities. It becomes all of those things, and certainly we have seen terrorists exploit, as as well as ordinary criminals, we've seen them exploit that as both a vulnerability and as a weapon. Um, and so that raises a number of uh, a number of issues today that that we're coming into that were addressed in this TechCrunch article, and we we haven't seen what some people were were concerned about. We haven't seen the the, the cyber Armageddon that people are talking right, about.
4: Right, you keep hearing that. Yeah, yeah,
5: but but and and I think that's that's a remote possibility. But we have seen an, a, a number of things. First of all, we. As we move from the internet increasingly to the internet of things where we're connecting almost every aspect of our society to the internet from critical infrastructure to uh, reservation systems are already there, uh, power grids are there, as well as now things that that touch ordinary lives are increasingly going to be connected uh, to this does that create new vulnerabilities? Will will the terrorists of tomorrow move from today's uh, low-tech killers to high-tech saboteurs? Big question about that. Not sure. At the same time, we've seen that as a result of, of developments in, in information technology, um, governments, uh, as well as commercial enterprises, have increasing capabilities to collect, uh, store, uh, retrieve, analyze vast amounts of information about our personal lives. And so what issues does that raise about privacy? Another dimension of this is we see that um, uh, the internet is uh, and, and information technology in general, not not the internet, but information technology is, is allowing increasingly uh, sophisticated in, encryption to take place, uh, creating the the, the so called dark web, uh, a scary thing that is that is communications that will be inaccessible to the authorities that are attempting to uncover crime or terrorist, uh, terrorist plotting going on. What is the right answer there? So in each one of these cases, our privacy versus what governments can know and information they can hold about us, uh, possibilities of sabotage, uh, uh, possibilities of, of, of battles about encryption and whether or not governments should have keys to encryption or, or not, all of these are battle lines that cut right through information
4: technology. Right. Now, um, let's deal. Let's deal in the order you raised them. And you know, the first obviously is um, doing in, an attack that's different from one in the past. And you recently were on on the air with Larry Mandel and a Wall Street Journal reporter um, talking about a. a uh, attack on the um, transformers at a power station, you know, a very significant power station near um, Silicon Valley itself. And that what it, what a bunch of transformers that went out um, had been shot at. And uh, this could have had this been successful, it could have pulled led to a major disruption and power supply to a very vital area and, um, do you see? And there have been a lot. There has been a lot of focus and discussion about the grid as being a particular area of sensitivity.
5: It it is now. Of course, that was that was low tech. That was rifle fire into into the transformers. Although uh, uh, likely is not done by someone who knew what he was doing in in, in terms of that particular facility. Uh, And and we certainly have seen over the years attacks on on power grids ranging from, these are physical attacks, ranging from simply bringing down uh, power lines, uh, which are easily, easily repaired and and, and doesn't result in serious interruptions, to uh, uh, bombing or otherwise sabotaging, physically sabotaging uh, 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 transformer centers, step-down transformers, things of that sort, which can cause uh, blackouts, but the real question is whether or not somebody could could access these systems, access the net, and replicate those things that we've seen take place as accidents. I mean we' we've, we've seen uh, widespread blackouts in some cases in parts of the country over the years, um, where power will go out over a city or a broader region for hours in some cases. Uh, it may be a, a day or two before power is fully restored throughout that section of the, uh, uh, of the net. So the question is, could someone come in and do that? Now, the energy companies are aware of this, and they have taken a number of, of precautions to, to, to address this, but it still raises that question. There's great concerns about that because that would have cascading effects um, on the economy, and indeed, if a blackout remained in, uh, uh, in place for a longer period of time, it would begin to be socially disruptive, and people worry about the societal uh, consequences of, of that. So that's one, one example. Uh, another area that people are concerned about has to do with financial institutions. They certainly have been the targets of hackers who have been, in some cases, extremely successful in in breaking into these systems and siphoning siphoning funds. The question is, can they break into these systems and, and sabotage them in a way that will begin to disrupt the financial system itself, that is, prevent banks from settling their accounts, or disrupt the accounting uh, sufficiently so that people lose confidence in, in, in the numbers. Now, we have seen accidental disruptions of things like, uh, stock exchanges take place. Uh, again, could malevolent individuals replicate that? Uh, our most recent example, which again was, was an accidental thing, which was the Delta Airlines uh, computer switch. Right that shut down their reservation systems shut down their flights for a number of hours hugely disruptive hugely costly could that be replicated by outside adversaries so that's the one range of things uh, one range of things that we are worried about especially as i say as we
4: become increasingly uh, interconnected right and and the thing about as you mentioned is doing is it What's unique about this is, it may happen. We may not know it's an act of terrorism until some time later.
5: That's entirely possible. In in, in some cases, the uh, things that uh, appear uh, to be uh, something accidental may in fact have uh, uh, be a malevolent a malevolent act. You know, if you go back to the to the term sabotage itself. Uh, sabotage, as initially uh, understood, that is conceptually, was not doing something dramatically, not like, like uh, throwing dynamite into a factory or something of that sort. Mm-hmm. It was rather a, a, an insidious, a subtle form of creating breakdowns uh, that would never be detected as a deliberate, malevolent act. But nonetheless, would have a significant impact on production.
4: And and so, going forward in looking at you know the targets in the grid or in just in general uh, for uh, a, a current day cyber terrorist, you know, what 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 areas concern you the most?
5: Well, the, the, obviously, the ones that are these big systems where a, a breakdown can have uh, uh, social uh, consequences. So probably, you know, the power grid is, is, is a major one. Uh, it's the one frequently talked about. Uh, financial systems, communication systems, air traffic control systems, any major systems that are you know any any uh, computer systems that are that are vital to to efficient operations and uh, again as we become as our societies become more technology dependent um they in at least theoretically are uh, become more vulnerable to widespread disruption you know if you're if we're talking about a primitive society where people you know walk to markets to sell their vegetables it's extremely hard to disrupt that society that society is already operating at a at a fairly primitive level Mm -hmm. Uh, but if we think our of our own societies, my gosh if a stoplight goes out during rush hour in a city it creates a tremendous traffic jam, right? Or, so,
4: or, or a wastewater system, something oh, as simple or a as wastewater that. System, yeah,
5: system. Any, any, any major, major system. Now, again, uh, people are not unaware of these things, but the problem that we have with a lot of these big systems is these big systems are are legacy systems, and and, and that is when they when they started building when they started building these systems years ago. Uh, it wasn't nearly as elaborate with as many things hooked to it as uh, they are today. Um, it, it, they start out with a relatively simple system and then they put something on top of that and then something on top of that and something further scaffolded on top of that. S- so it, it, it's not as if somebody says, well, we need to have a new system for airline reservations. What you have is a system that has layers of technology that go back over the years. Uh, when that is disrupted, it sometimes can be very, very difficult to to, in a sense, do this archaeological dig and find out exactly what happened.
4: I see. Now, um, you also one of the points you also referenced is the fact that we are not only do you have issues relating to. Targets and because of the interconnectedness, um, but you also have government has a lot more data points, which you know obviously creates opportunities in terms of monitoring um, potential terrorist activity, but also creates concerns from a privacy level. And wh- why don't you address that?
5: It, it it does create concerns, and and you know this is um, this is, a, is is a growing concern as we have responded to the terrorist threat, especially in the immediate wake of of 9-11. We have pushed the authorities in our society to intervene before the event occurs. Now, that's a departure from from traditional law enforcement. Uh, That is, in traditional law enforcement, a crime occurs. There's an investigation. They identify a, a... perpetrator a suspect bring that individual uh before a courtroom and make their case uh in this particular case we're we're trying to push the authorities to intervene uh before they do so and 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 we now have laws that permit intervention and indeed prosecution on the basis of intentions alone whether they were successful but uh, or even whether they got to try but on the basis of their intentions so that's moving it back. Now, the, the idea would be uh, in 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 some of these this data collection is if we can push that back even further, so that we are we are intervening at the earliest possible moment in that, and somehow that if we had total information about an individual. Or a group of individuals, we could then, with very, very sophisticated analysis, we could say these people are up to something nefarious. We are going to intervene now. Now that's, that's just this side of the technology we don't have. We don't have an x-ray for a man's soul. Right. So what we're, what, what the authorities are, are in a sense looking for here is how far Upstream, can they go to intervene to prevent uh, prevent uh, uh, attacks, uh, terrorist attacks, or or other other types of, of, of criminal activity? And this um, is the
4: total information awareness system that and, and, oh, and that
5: was that was one of the unfortunate titles given to yeah. it. And the idea was that if we had total information awareness, we could identify the patterns. That would, that would, uh, guide intelligence, guide the authorities to an appropriate intervention. Uh, the, it sounds sensible. And especially in a society that is as obsessed with our own safety as, as Americans seem to have become, uh, it is an attractive notion. The authorities can intervene in every case before anything ever happens. Makes sense. But it comes with consequences. And and, and those consequences are, what what does it mean for our individual liberty, uh, for government authorities to possess that amount of data about our individual lives. Now, an old constitutionalist senator from years ago, Senator Sam Irvin, uh, once wrote, and this was just at the beginning of the information revolution, that the mere existence, not, not its use in coercion, but that the mere existence of such vast databases in government hands would have a chilling effect on the exercise of our civil liberties. For example, if somebody were actively investigating some wrongdoing by government, but knew at the same time that government had some information about them, not necessarily that they had committed a crime, but something that might be embarrassing if they were a politician, would that person be able to pursue that investigation as vigorously or would they back off? So this raises
4: a fundamental question, as I say, about our about our civil liberties. And we're gonna let people ponder that question while we take a short break for our sponsors. Um, You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report only on Cranberry Radio. We'll be right back.
2: Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report. After this brief recess
3: for our sponsors. It's time to take your ad testing out of the Mesozoic era and into the Ezoic era. Uh EZOIC is the world's first machine learning platform, creating tailor ad combinations to monetize your website. Our automated ad testing not only boosts ad income, but increases page views, improves bounce rate, and will impress the user experience. Start your 30-day free trial today at EZOIC.com and join thousands of publishers who are already earning 60% more with EZOIC. That's ezoi EZOIC. Make your website smarter. EZOIC is a Google-certified publishing
6: partner. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded.
4: at
6: bruceclay.com.
4: Add
2: some Cranberry Radio podcast to your playlist as part of a better profit margin. Cranberry Radio. It's it's good for you. Really? The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly.
4: And we're back with um, Rand Brian Michael Jenkins and the reference to um, the constitutional scholar and senator from North Carolina, Sam Irving. He was the chair of the uh, Watergate Committee, so um, a major player in our history. So um, you, you, we kind of left the listeners hanging about the risks of a, a total information awareness system, Ms. Jenkins, and I guess I'm, I'm Quite sure you have a view on what the, where those risks have, may have gone and and whether we uh, we need to take any measures to prevent them. Well, I I,
5: I do have a, a view about this and and you know look, um, I I wrote a chapter in a in a book several years ago called an incremental tyranny and and the, it was a, a provocative piece. It was meant to be a provocative piece, um, and the idea. The notion that it raised is that uh, as we are dealing with new threats to our society, we respond to these threats with with measures that make sense at the time, Uh, but once in place, the measures become the baseline for another new layer of measures, and then those in turn become the baseline for yet another layer of, of measures. And over time, we profoundly change the nature of our of our society. Um, and the point was, in an incremental tyranny, is when we think of tyranny, we think of we think of people with uh, Sam Brown belts and jack boots and and <coughs> military coups and things of that sort. But it is entirely possible for a liberal democratic state. To gradually, through the legislative process, through the democratic process, to, in a sense, legislate itself into a much different society. Now, I would be, it would be inaccurate to say that we have savaged civil liberties since 9 11. We haven't. But we have certainly laid the foundation for a degree of of government intervention for social control that in under a less benign government or confronted with an even more frightened population it would be much easier now to slide across that line and have a much
4: less free society than we have now. And uh, in, in looking at your writings, there's, there are two themes that are dominant. And one is that the role of terrorism, and, and hence the name of it itself, is to instill fear. Fear in the populace that somehow causes the population to act in a way that maybe it wouldn't in a more rational, thoughtful way. And But the other thing um, is the you're stressing is the need not to act disproportionately or in unmeasuredly in response to that fear. And just recently in, in your discussion with Pat Morrison, um, you said, uh, ultimately, I think we're a tough nation. We will prevail not because of how many bollards we plant in front of buildings or how many procedures we install at airports or how many cameras we put up. We will prevail because of our essential values. And that, at the end of the day, it's our soft power that protects us.
5: That that that's true. And 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 people sometimes look at those those values, even the use of the term values. They they look at those as sort of luxuries that you toss overboard when you hit stormy seas. Uh, in fact, they are very much part of our arsenal. Uh, it is unfortunate today. I'm I'm ferociously nonpartisan myself, but but as, as a general commentary on our. On our society it is a society that still is is obsessed with 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 fear obsessed with um, with the threat of terrorism when in fact uh, at least this side of 9/11 which was a, a searing event in our history to be sure um, the the numbers of Americans who have been uh, who have been killed by terrorists is is extremely extraordinarily low in fact the 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 risk uh to the average american of being killed by by terrorists in this country begins to approach lottery odds and you know we buy lottery tickets it's fun to think about what we do with all that money but we don't plan our financial futures on a presumption we're going to win right and right. we ought not to we ought not to lead our lives and 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 operate our you know uh, conduct our legislative activities on on the presumption of, of of victimhood. There are traditional American values of courage, of self-resilience, of a sense of community, of of tolerance. Um this is this is a tough nation. We've come through a lot in our history um and we will, if we keep our heads, uh deal with this successfully as well. But our current political system seems to incentivize fear or, more correctly speaking, the creation of fear. Mm -hmm. And so we become, in a sense, the accomplices of the terrorists themselves who are trying to instill fear and we do them the favor.
4: Right. And often it seems that um, the political forces on the other side are unwitting accomplices by by stoking the very fear that that the terrorists want.
5: Oh, well, this is you know it is, it it is part of our political process that 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 one has to demonstrate demonstrate toughness, slam your fist in in the palm of your hand, pound the podium, point a finger, ah, uh,
4: wear a lapel tell, pin,
5: you know, persuade people how you're going to slay dragons, and if you're going to slay dragons, you're not going to diminish the size of those dragons,
4: right? Now. So, um-
5: that that that's the concern that I have right now. We can deal with the terrorists. There will be tragedies, to be sure. That's unavoidable. But we will successfully deal with that. What we have to be careful about is how we deal
4: with our own anxieties. Very well said. Now, um, with the limited time we have left, in in the TechCrunch article, you actually you mentioned that the the battleground in cyber terrorism is Silicon Valley. But you also end it on a very upbeat note that you think Silicon Valley is already de- developing the tools to address these um, concerns. Um, well, why, where does that come from? Why, what, what leads you to reach that conclusion?
5: In you know, Silicon Valley it, it invented all of this stuff. It developed this stuff, and 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 um, <clears throat> that that same talent can be can be put to use. To providing the levels of security that are necessary to protect these systems, uh, that same innovative talent already is being pl- applied uh, to some of the technology that we are using uh, for security. I mean, some of these, uh, some of these uh, sophisticated analytics are, are are being applied to everything from from bomb detection to to uh, more advanced, uh, more advanced uh, alarm systems and so on, and so it can be, uh, it, it it can be put to use to provide a layer of defense to to our nation, and this is something we're just beginning to think about seriously, and 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 I'm simply confident that that these the this imagination these these uh uh these skills this knowledge these entrepreneurial skills uh can be put to work on on behalf and i believe they are they are doing so now there's going to be some battles here the battles are interesting enough not about the technology the technology is the battleground the battleground uh, the battles are about really philosophical issues and that's the story of terrorism it's it's not whether we can whether we can put concrete in front of a building it's not whether we can can sniff out an explosive uh, it is rather has to do with issues of 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 privacy is, issues of liberty issues in hostage situations of the value of a, of a human life uh, issues of of our own a realistic appraisal of risk, our own stoicism. These are fundamental philosophical issues that we have to address. You don't have to be a techie to address these issues. These are about us.
4: And that's the challenge.
5: And that, is, that is the challenge that we face as a nation. You know, years ago I wrote, Sometimes you just get lucky and and the, and the sun shines through the window and a and, and, and a phrase pops into your head and you write it down and, and I said that look because of because of the demonstrated utility of terrorist tactics because of these technological changes we're seeing that power and here I mean power defined in its crudest sense it's simply the capacity to to kill to destroy to disrupt to create alarm to oblige us to divert vast resources to security that power is descending into the hands of smaller and smaller groups whose grievances real or imaginary it's not always going to be possible to satisfy and how we deal with that within the context of a democratic society and remain a free democratic society is one of the major challenges we face today
4: indeed now um We only have a few minutes left. If if people want to learn more about what you're doing in the area, particularly in the area of cyber terrorism, where should they go?
5: Oh, there's 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 a um, actually I I don't claim to be you know I'm not a I'm not a techie. This is a generational thing. When (laughs) when I look for technological information, I you know I search for a 12 year old uh, to, to help me out in this. Um, but, but certainly there is a, a, a rich literature that has been written about this. It's, uh, some of this material is available at Rand, uh, at the Rand Corporation has been looking at these issues. So go to Rand.org, uh, all of these reports are available to the public. They're all, they can all be downloaded for free. So that's, that is a good place to, to begin, um, second place would be the the public library the school library there is a, a again uh some of its polemic but but there is a, a good literature that has been written about these challenges uh that that we face um and indeed these are issues of 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 headlines the battle between government and apple the uh, the, the debates that are constantly taking place in, in, in Congress. But I would, I would really advise people to cut past the, the, the two minute sound, you know, the 25 second sound bites on television, uh, and, and really get to reading something. And as they read it, they will begin to understand, uh, more of this. And, and, and so it is there, it's, it's easily accessible.
4: Well, thank you very much. Um, we have background on, um, in terms of, we have your Twitter feed, um, Brian M. Jenkins, as well as background of Mr. Jenkins on our uh, blog at cyberlawradio.wordpress. Check it out. We have excerpts from a number of his um, brilliant pieces in this area, but both cyber and just straight uh, regular terrorism. And the need to preserve American values. So uh, I want to thank you again. Is are there any you have any speaking appearances coming up that um, you want to highlight to our listeners? Oh
5: golly, uh, uh, I have a few coming up, but they're but they're overseas. Uh, uh, actually, if they if they followed the the uh, the Twitter feed, that those will give heads up on, on some of the speaking things
4: coming up. Well, um, Great. Well, thank you again. It's been a pleasure having you, and um, you're a giant in this field, and you, you, our listeners definitely got a, a, a sense of why that is today, so I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Bennett. <laughs> um, we're going to take a short break. We come back, we'll have some news updates and um, some, a preview of next week with Dan Lyons um, here on Cyber Law and Business Report, on, only on Cranberry Radio. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and
2: Business report after this brief test for our sponsors.
6: Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites like cars require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded.
2: Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think
6: eBrands.
2: Free and unlimited SEO audit reports.
3: eBrands.
2: Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators.
3: eBrands. Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at Development.com.
2: Online anytime. This is Cranberry Radio. Cranberry.fm The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly.
4: And we're back and um it was really great talking to uh, mr jenkins he's uh he is rightfully a giant in this field and uh and actually i I do want an apology he's been doing it as he mentioned since nineteen seventy two and which was a very big year in terrorism as you may remember from the Munich massacre um but this uh very thoughtful guy, and we're, we're thrilled to have him, and i um, glad to hear he enjoyed it as well.
3: Well, not only um, thrilled to have uh, have Brian as well, Bennett, but we're thrilled to have you. I mean, I think there's a little bit of a announcement that needs to be in order, right?
4: Um, well, there is some news, yes. Well,
3: uh, let me be the one. I know you're too humble to say it yourself. So, Internet Law Center, name one of the top Twitter feeds for Internet Law. Congratulations, my friend.
4: Thank you. Thank you. And uh, you may recall we had John Ferrara on from Nimble, mm-hmm. um, who's been a, a great fan and supporter of the show, and he actually regularly tweets that segment. <laughs> um, but you know he he stresses social marketing and getting out. Um, demonstrating, uh, you know, what your your knowledge by, you know, sharing it with others, and so you know, I make a conscious strategy through my law, you know, the Internet Law Center, um, through our tweet feed to um, keep people abreast on what's going on, and so it was nice to get recognized, and so I hope you'll follow us at Internet Law Cent. Um, don't have enough letters to have the whole ER part of center in. So please follow us. And definitely if you, if you're not following us already, follow us, um, the show on site at cyber Law radio. But, um, so we have a few minutes left and thank you again, Brasco. I really appreciate that. Um, we have a few minutes left. And I want to cover a few things. One is a bit of sad news. Um, I, I guess I'll start it by telling a story. I grew up in Rhode Island and, um uh, I remember my father always telling me, uh, we grew up in a Catholic family and my father went away on a religious retreat. And one time there was this one priest in particular who kept asking him not about pastoral matters, but, um, about pastory matters. Cause at the time, uh, one of the senators from Rhode Island was the John Pastore, who was the first Italian American, um, ever to serve in the Senate a very popular Senator, former governor. And, um, the priest kept asking him about his views on that Senator, oddly enough, uh, during this religious retreat. And, um, my father didn't know quite what to make of it until, uh, later the next year when that, um, that Jesuit priest was running against him. Uh, he got the Republican nomination and ran against Senator Pastore and got crushed two to one, um, in heavily Democratic Rhode Island. But, um, that person picked up his wounds, um, called his friend Pat Buchanan and and started working with him as a speechwriter in the Nixon White House and most of you now know that person as John McLaughlin. Um, He later went on to go into journalism and then, um, 34 years ago founded the McLaughlin Report um, which has been a fixture on on PBS and cable news for years now and um, sadly uh, at the age 89 John McLaughlin died yesterday and so um, he is not only is he a fellow Rhode Islander and Providencian but um, he's also from my high school LaSalle Academy so um, journalism lost a giant and uh, as, as well did the LaSalle community so um, and oddly enough he never missed this weekend was the first show he ever missed in 34 years so um, he definitely was an entertaining uh, he definitely entertaining um, Man in Nebraska, do you have a clip you want to play?
3: I do have the clip. Here we Let's go. Let's hear it. John McLaughlin. Issue number one, high noon. Sodom says no, Bush says go. How long will it last? Papu O'Connor. Well, George Bush is playing hardball here, and I think we could possibly see.
6: Wrong, Eleanor Clift! <laughs> <laughs> well, if I were George Bush... Wrong,
3: Jack well, Bush is weighing his political cloud again. Wrong. <laughs> Issue two. Gov-
4: <laughs> that yeah, that, that was, I've never seen that sign so I But it, it was so John McLaughlin because you know John McLaughlin he, he started as a Jesuit priest and ultimately he, he still was. You know he had that sense of you know us uh, as he always liked to say metaphysical certitude. You know he had that certainty he was right and you know because from the that's just a very catholic church sort of way yeah. and uh i he kept, but he also had that irish sense of humor i think and charm that that served him well so um yes yeah, he i can't say i always agree with him but i i always enjoyed him and uh and i think you
0: know
4: it was i think it, i think it, it we're losing some I of the talking heads not- that we have now but i thought it was yeah. it was a thoughtful show at least
3: but, that, but the only thing is just that it is one thing that feels sad is that when you see people like William Buckley and John McLaughlin, we're losing some of these really traditional commentary types. You know, I'm I'm afraid we're not finding people that are able to fill that void. And it's a void like a John McLaughlin that's not going to get filled, I don't think.
4: Well, and it, you raise an important point, Brasco, because, you know, William Buckley and what people may not know about John McLaughlin, but he was a writer. He was a columnist from the National Review. And so, you know, these people came from a longer form of, you know, format, you know, articles, journalism, um, print journalism to the shorter soundbite of TV. But, you know, they had the gravitas to go with it. And um, I guess that is the, the challenge is, you know, too often we, we get just these, you know, these um, prettied up talking heads and, and hosts and um, some, of them, some of them are quite capable, others aren't. And so I guess that's the problem. Um, although I did hear a funny segment this weekend uh, with Katie Couric. Uh, and she was on the PBS uh, NPR show. Wait, wait, don't tell me. And um, you know, she actually uh, was had a, a comment, funny comment, saying that she's been in television long enough that um, she goes as far back when the word "harass" was two words. But um, <laughs> and, and you know, and then when she took over as, as anchor, everyone kept saying, well, does she have the gravitas to be anchor? And so she just assumed that gravitas must have been a Latin word for testicles. But um, she was, I, it was an interesting piece. If you, if you don't listen to wait, wait, don't tell me. It's kind of a funny show.
3: You how um, far, far back she's been around, she's been at least close to 40 years, because I remember looking at the uh, Cocaine Cowboys documentary and seeing her. As a local Miami reporter, reporting on all that stuff back in the late '70s,
4: early '80s. Late '70s, really, because I so um, she's late from 80s, Virginia. Not '70s. And the 80s I remember sure. her in the late '80s, early '90s, starting at a local DC station, and that kind of propelled her to the Today Show. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she was like uh, the kind of the, the the anchor, very popular co-anchor, um, and uh, did quite well. But um, she she now has a podcast. Yep. <laughs> and well, she's uh, on Yahoo right now. Yeah. Yeah, and which led the, the, the interviewer to say, Katie, what happened? Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, Katie, well, welcome to the podcast world. But um, any event, we want to g- give you a, a little bit of, of additional news updates, um, one of which is that um, we want to tell you about next week's show. Um, but before we do that, I uh, want to give you a highlight. I am proud to be co-chair of this actually chair this year, of the 2016 IP, the Internet Conference. It will be held September 6th at Salesforce in right by the Embarcadero in San Francisco. Um, we have a great um, group of panelists. Some of whom you've heard on the show, Eric Goldman and Chris Kelly, a former Facebook um, um, CPO who, who led the, um, the SAFE Act um, initiative campaign. We're going to have a, a very... Um, lively debate about the future of Section 230 of the Communications Act. To what extent should the immunity apply? We have we have panels on, on social media takedowns. We have a round table with general counsels on disruption and innovation, as well as updates on privacy from uh, Francois Gilbert, and who you've heard on this show, and Joan McNabb from the uh, Attorney General's Office here in California. So, and plus... Our good friend Ian Ballin is going to do an Internet Law update, and we'll have a, a keynote speech from the, um, the Justice Department uh, Office of Computer Crimes. And so it's going to be a great show. I hope you'll check us out. And then next week, um, we're going to have uh, with us, we have Dan Lyons, the author of Disrupted, My Misadventures in Startup Bubble, which is a, a bestseller now. And he's also one of the contributing screenwriters to the um, HBO sensation Silicon Valley. So he's a really good guy, and we're thrilled to be able to have him. So next week, uh, we will have him here. And uh, while we still have you, I just want to give you – be sure to follow us on Twitter, again, at Radio, And um, you can follow our blog at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. And – Definitely check us out. If you want to um, make any suggestions or topics you'd like to hear, just let us know. In addition, um, as Brasco mentioned, you know, the Internet Law Center, we're a full-service firm in, the, in areas of Internet law um, here in Santa Monica. Our website is InternetLawCenter.net, and uh, we handle everything with a lot of work on e-commerce and online advertising work. Um, we've worked with the FTC investigation it even handles some grand jury investigations Uh, and as well as we've done lots of work with victims of cyber harassment so please check us out um, internetlawcenter.net and as Brasco mentioned at internetlawcents so that's what we have this week it's been a thrill, I want to thank Brian Michael Jenkins again Um, great, um, great talking with him today definitely check him out, follow him on Twitter and follow the RAND, they're a very interesting group and, um, but here we are. That's all I have for you today from sunny um, Silicon Beach here in Santa Monica. Um, have a great week. This is Bennett Kelly signing off.